Hi, welcome to Go Ahead, Write Something, the podcast for writers who want motivation, the nitty gritty and more gritty about getting published and how to find joy in writing your stories and sharing them with the world. I'm Tessa Smith McGovern, author and writing teacher at the Writing Institute, Sarah Lawrence College, as well as for the Westport Library's Westport Writes program. And I'm Patricia Dunn, a.k.a. T.M. Dunn, a novelist and writing instructor for over 20 years. And today, our guest, Brooke Lee Foster, author of Gin Lane, which is a captivating historical novel, which I have to just say I loved completely. There's so many wonderful quotes, but I'm going to go with Publishers Weekly because they're succinct and they're actually pretty great. Foster expertly builds out the various characters revealing the ugly truths hidden by their wealth and social status. This story of a young woman's self-discovery captivates. Hi. Hey. So, so nice to be here. And how are you? I'm good. I mean, I, I, it was fun to have you read that quote because I feel like you read this book before my characters captivated anybody. So it's great that <laughs> well, we got to that point. Well, this is like uh, this is your second book. This is my second book. And yeah. uh, a lot of the people who are going to be listening are people who are emerging or even established writers, but writers who just want to hear people's stories. So yeah. how did you start writing? So I graduated from college and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I worked at a law firm and thank God I did because I realized very quickly I did not want to be a lawyer. I was way too creative for that. And I got a job working in journalism in Washington, D.C. I was a magazine writer and I was writing long form narrative nonfiction. So it was stories with a beginning, a middle and an end, 6,000 to 8,000 words. Um, and I think it was good training for writing fiction later, but I did that for many years and then slowly started writing for bigger publications like the Times and um, the Atlantic. I was an editor at the Boston Globe Sunday Magazine for a while. And I had really gotten to the point with journalism where I could write an article in my sleep. I knew where to, where to get the interview. I knew how to get the good quotes. I knew how to structure the story. And I felt like I really needed to flex a new muscle. So I, my daughter was seven years old. No, sorry, my daughter's seven now. She was a baby when I decided to write my first book. And um, I didn't know if I could do it, honestly. I saw this, um, a class in Westchester for novel writing and I enrolled in the class and I really had no concept of how to write a good book, but I had this idea that I wanted to write fiction. Um, and so that's how I started writing books. I hear those teachers were phenomenal, by the way. <laughs> they were amazing. Yes. But you know what's so funny? I was thinking about this and I will say this to all you emerging writers out there. I remember when I... I I think I put together about 250 horrible pages and I didn't know that I knew they were kind of horrible, but you know, you sort of have a belief that maybe there's magic in them that someone's <laughs> going to see. And I remember going to my first workshop and actually, Pat, you were not there. It was just um, your co-teacher, Jimin, at the time. That's Jimin Han, another amazing author. Another amazing author and teacher. And she, I, I remember it was my turn to be workshopped and everybody was just kind of looking at each other like they didn't know what to say because really it was a mess. I really didn't know what I was doing. And I remember Jimin kind of folded her hands on the table and she was like, let's think about what the story is you want to tell. And it's like, we had to start that basic because yeah. I really was starting from scratch here. But I think we all start that basic, right? People can't see you, but that was a great impression of Jimin. You just totally channeled <laughs> yes, her. Yes, exactly. No. So I want to also ask you, all right, so what keeps you writing? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I feel like I'm always working through stuff in my writing without even realizing it. It's kind of once the book comes out, out of me, I kind of can look back and, and see what's there. But as I'm writing, I just feel like I have these ideas for a good story. I have a time period. 
you know, there's something that I'm searching for in the writing. And I think with Summer Darlings and with Anjan Lane, both women are women who are really finding their voice and they're both written at mid-century. So it's a time when women didn't really have a voice. So I love kind of taking readers into summer. You know, I believe in the transformational summer and giving them not just a romance and not just an you know, great gin and tonics on the beach, but also they really get to figure out who they are as a woman. Well, these women. Okay. So this, your first book was 61. The, the second one 62. is- 62. 62. Yep. The next one is 57. Yep. Right? Yep. And uh, they're looking for empowerment. They're stuck between a world where men are making decisions for them yeah. about their world, their bodies. Yeah. I could be talking about June 2022. Sadly, sadly. So is that part of like, why did you set your books in the period that you did? You know, I wasn't, part of me is looking at sort of the similarities between the two time periods because now and then, because I do think a lot has changed, but nothing's really changed at all for women. But I think what's interesting is getting in that mid-century mindset of a woman. You know, my character, Everly and Anjan Lane, her mother's generation, they were the generation in the forties where the men went off to war. And the women suddenly were out in the workplace and then the men came home from war and they were forced back into the home. And Everly has all of this pressure to get married and go live in the suburbs and have a baby and do things exactly right. Be the happy homemaker of the 1950s that we know. And not the artist she wants to be. And not the artist she wants to be. But I think when she gets out to the Hamptons, because my book takes place in the Hamptons in the summer of 57, all of these possibilities open up to her. You know, there's this fire, which is a big part of the plot, kind of driving the plot. But I think with the fire, when this hotel burns down and where it, that they own, she sort of is left with nothing. And I think when we get to those tough moments in life, we're kind of forced to reckon with who we really are. And I think that's what happens to her. And she realized that maybe she does have an opportunity. And bringing it back to the 50s, you know, women back then would never be able to go intern with another photographer, which is what she does, um, or, or really follow that passion without being ostracized. But she finds a way to do it. And that's the great fun of writing historical fiction, right? Is we get to rewrite history a little bit. And yeah, that's kind of what time, I do yeah. with my characters. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe in 1957, this would have been really hard. But, you know, against all odds, my character does it. Yeah. And you talk about Jason Pollock and how he had all this attention. And then the woman she works with. Oh, Lee Jackson Pollock. Yeah. 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 yeah she can't even get yeah, who... a studio to show her work. Yeah. Right. Right. So... right. Yeah. That she... So what, what Pat's talking about is the... Um, the photographer named Starling, who's sort of the mentor to the my main character, she has a photography show going on in East Hampton that summer. And while, you know, the male artists are kind of offered these shows very easily, she's had to fight for it. And she's a well-established, famous kind of Annie Leibovitz type photographer of her time. Yeah, it's amazing. So. Yeah, the unfairness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it is, it's startling what doesn't change. You know, the pressure to do it right, to get married, to do the, all of that is still just as hard as it ever was, I think. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, you know, I also think that there's a longing that is in my main character, Everly. I mean, even the cover, if you're near, you know, if you can Google the cover, she's kind of looking longingly mm. at the, in the distance, kind of daydreaming. But I think even that is is something we see today, right? As women, we're all longing to be something more. So even though this takes place in the 1950s, everybody can relate to it because mm. we're all struggling with friendship. We're all struggling with heartbreak. You know, we're all working to move forward every day and find our voice and figure out who we really are. 
So that's part of the fun of writing historical fiction too, right? Is that no matter what time it is, what year it is, things aren't really all that different. Yeah, we're all trying to have it all at once. Yes, we yes, are. It's hard. Yeah, without working, it's hard. So yeah. can I ask you about your writing process? So how do yes. you go about that? So this book, I had the idea because I was researching um, a little nugget of information for my first book, Summer Darlings. Do you want me to tell the story behind the book? Because it's kind of interesting, I think, where we get our ideas as writers. Yeah, so I think people are interested in that. Yeah. Um, so I was researching where a woman, a society woman in 1962 would have stayed if she visited Chicago. Very simple question. It turns out it was the Palmer House Hotel in the Chicago Loop. But as I was reading about it, I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole a little bit of research. And it turns out that it had this fascinating history. It was founded by a wealthy Chicago businessman named Potter Palmer in 1871. And he had this very dazzling, beautiful socialite wife named Bertha. And he gifted her that the Palmer House Hotel, which many of you may know and have stayed in. Um, back in back in 1871. And 13 days later, the hotel burned to the ground. Oh, I just got chills. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember finding that little nugget of information and thinking to myself, I mean, there's a journalist in me, but I was like, that is a great mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need to do something with that story. But again, I'm revising Summer Darlings, my first book. I'm still, you know, a year out from publication. So I just kind of filed it away. But when it came time to write my second book, I kind of pulled that little gem back out. I went back, researched it again, and I thought, how about we have a young couple from the city, wealthy couple. He brings her out. You know, they're engaged. He brings her out to Southampton for the weekend. He gifts her a hotel. Hello. How cool is that? <laughs> that was a daydream in itself. And then a few days later, it burns to the ground. So that was kind of the way it started. But that's just a few sentences. Mm -hmm. You have to flesh out an entire book from mm -hmm. there, right? You have to come up with the characters. And so, I mean, I kind of knew all along that my I wanted my character Everly to be somewhat of a poor little rich girl because my in my first book, Summer Darlings, that heroine, she was daughter. A nanny. She yeah. was a nanny. She was daughter of a single mom. She came from a rough part of the Irish, you know, Irish Brooklyn at the time. So I wanted them to be very different and have a very different trajectory. So once I kind of knew that, the other elements could fall into place. I'm fascinated with beach towns from the 1950s and 60s. It's a very glamorous time out in the Hamptons. You know, like Pat was saying, Jackson Pollock was out yeah, there. Marilyn Monroe, we used to hang Monroe out there. was there that yep. summer. Yep. Truman Capote, Capote, you could yep. go into Bobby yep. Vans and he would be having a, you know, a drink at the Mahogany Bar. So and Marilyn Monroe is in the book. Marilyn with, Monroe. With, with some immortal with words. Arthur yes. Miller, with yes. Arthur, Arthur Miller. With Arthur Miller. Because they were famously out there this summer. And yes, the words that Marilyn kind of says, and Arthur Miller says to my main character, set her on this entire journey mm -hmm. for the summer. And, you know, it was kind of a risk. Actually, I have to stop for a second and say, Pat, do you remember with my first book, Summer Darlings, it was you that came up with the idea to put Marilyn Monroe in that book because she <gasps> passed away that Pat. summer, right in the middle of my book. Well, that's because everybody <laughs> needs to take writing classes. No, but <laughs> when I had the distance, but I was looking at the yeah, time period and yeah. I just like Googled a, and I'm like, what was happening yes. that summer? And I'm like, whoa, this is Marilyn Monroe yeah. has to be put in there. Because if you're going to put a book in a place, you, I mean, a time period in a place, you got to use it. Yeah. And that was like... No, it was amazing. And it created this whole thread in, in Summer Darlings where there are, the young women are crying when they find out Marilyn Monroe died because my mom was telling me that's what they all did when yeah. she found out the news. You know, everybody oh. was so upset. Um, but anyway, then she reappears. But I picked that particular summer. You know, in the Hamptons, I could have picked 52, 67, you know. But I picked that summer because 
Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe were there. And I thought it would be really fun to kind of turn our stereotypes of Marilyn Monroe on her head a little bit. Yeah. You know, I wanted her to be the empowered woman who knew what she was doing and might even, you Which know. she did. And she, because she was. She did right? in a lot of yeah. ways. But it was risky. It's always risky yeah. writing real people and real famous people in your book, right? Because you don't, you know, I actually have them say words to my yes. character. Yes, immortal words that yes. I love. I'm not going to share them because that would be a spoiler, but I will never forget them yeah. because they really resonated with And they me. felt true to those characters. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you, because that was something I worked really hard on because you you really take that risk when you use a real voice. But I do think when you're writing historical fiction, for anyone writing it out there, when you use real people you're immediately placed in the moment, in the time period. Yeah. You know exactly where you are. And as a historical fiction writer, you're always reminding the reader of exactly where they are. And you don't want to pull them out of it. No, know? so just a quick question yeah. about yeah. Croft there. Did you have to do more work on their dialogue than you did with other characters because Very of much that? so, yes. Mm. I really had to research just, I don't know, like I just really had to research their voice and read some of what, you know, I have this book about Marilyn Monroe and just kind of read more about who she was and what she might have said. Um, you know, and same with Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller was a little easier. I don't know why, maybe because we don't, you know, historically have his voice in no, our he's head. He's a playwright too. Right, yeah, but yeah. Mr. President, you know, like we yeah, all yeah. know the Marilyn Monroe. So I feel like with her, I had to do more mm. um, with dialogue. But so I you, feel like with dialogue in general, sorry, Pat, I'll just say this one thing. No, don't for reader for, for aspiring writers, I don't know about you guys, but with dialogue, my dialogue yeah. comes out horrifically bad all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's always stilted. It always seems like, very empty. And I think that's okay because I know I'm going to go back and I'm going to fix it all once I know exactly what's happening in the moment and what I need to. So what are some of the techniques you use to fix it? God, that's a good question. So one of the things I do is I reread it probably 5,000 times. Out loud or? Out loud. Mm -hmm. And then each time I kind of make little adjustments. So when you read it out loud, you're able to hear the voices of your characters more clearly. And then you can kind of sense the rhythm and cadence of what exactly they would say and how they would say it. Um, that's something, but I also think you have to constantly think for each chapter, what you're trying to get across, right? Like we've talked about, Pat will talk about this in her classes, just how every single chapter, it has a narrative arc, right? It has to have a beginning a middle and an end. So once I figure out exactly what I'm trying to say in these chapters, then I can guide the dialogue to that exact point. So I guess I should say that when I write, I write really, really messy drafts, which Pat knows, and I'm really okay with that. And I think all writers should be okay with mm -hmm. that because, you know, when I first started writing, I know this is so naive. I don't know about you ladies, but for me, I thought that fiction would come out beautiful. I just imagine <laughs> that fiction writers sat and in easy. a computer yes. Yes, and wrote these beautiful sentences. And it was different than journalism, which was more technical. Then I sat down and I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Journalism seemed so easy in comparison. So I just write through it. That's my best writing tip I can give everyone is write through it. If you're having a mental block, write through it. If you're having like, you don't know what to do with your one character, just keep writing because it doesn't matter what's in between as long as you get somewhere and you're going to get somewhere. They think that, okay, I've been published. I don't need to take classes or so why would you still take classes? Because you, with writing, you always want to keep learning. There's an endless amount of technique. When you read other people's work, you always extrapolate something that you didn't see before. And when people who don't know you read your work, you mm -hmm. get an entirely different level of criticism than you do when they do know you. Yeah. Now, Pat, I've worked with you on all three of my, I've taken classes with you for all three of my books now. 
and you've been honest and insightful with every single one. And so I trust that no matter what, you're going to give me the feedback, right? But I have author friends who kind of, they'll read it and they're very, very good writers, but they kind of dance around and they, you know, they're not as harsh and you need that harsh voice to come at your work. I mean, I'm not that harsh. No, no, no. no. <laughs> not, no. Says it. People, direct, honest. Yes. Direct and yes. honest. You're right. It's not, but, but harsh it's, is okay. Yeah, it's okay. It is. Well, it's, it's okay. Not it has to be to honest. Yeah. And you can't hear a thousand things, which is also my problem sometimes giving too much <laughs> feedback. But writers can walk away with a few things that can work. Yeah. And sometimes telling people what they do well, which most writers don't know. Right. We can build on yes. what we do well yes. and what we all know what we do wrong. Right. But if we build on what we do well and your point about like writing through, I mean, I know I spent with my first book years on those first hundred pages that got cut. Now yeah. I had to write that for myself. Yep. But writing through to the end, you can't know what you're going to cut or what you need in the beginning until you get to that end. No, and I think so we true. just suffer, especially writers writing their first book. Yes, for sure. We, real, we think it's going to be the only book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we put yeah. everything in it yeah. and then we have to wind up cutting back. And yeah. so. Well, I mean, if it makes any writers out there feel better with Anjan Lane, my second book, we cut 20,000 words. Tw oh. My editor told me cut 20,000 words. It and that cut, was after they. Um, oh, they had already bought, the book, bought it. And they we still had wanted 20,000. gone through wow. one um, edit. And then this, this other editor took over and she said, look, people have shorter attention spans these days. <laughs> You got to cut 20,000 words. I had, it was long. It was like 115,000, right? Okay. That's long for women's fiction, but yeah. it was bought at 115,000, you know? But it was the best thing I ever did because the book, I had to resynthesize chapters and really get to the heart of the story. Mm. And I think that's why the book reads so much yeah. better now. It, you know, the pages turn. I think there was a bunch of fat there. Now, if I had heard that and I had cried and been crushed and, decided I wasn't ever going to write again, what good would it do me, yeah. right? I had to just like swallow it and go work out <laughs> for a week straight. And then I sat and did the work. I mean, that's the other thing as writers, you guys know, you have to sit and do the work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just going to come out of you. If you have an hour a day, spend that hour a day. If you want to write, you find the time to write, you know, and, and I really believe that. I feel as though you guys will understand this. I may sound crazy to people listening, but I think when your head is in your book, everything just goes smoother. You hear the dialogue, you know, you get the mail from the mailbox and you see an envelope and you imagine your character opening a letter that suddenly you didn't realize even needed to be in the book. When your head is fully in your story, the story just takes off. Mm -hmm. I know. I think the most horrible thing most writers have to hear is the solution to all of your writing problems is writing because <laughs> we want to do anything well, but write. a quick plug for the Westport Writes program because our sprints are full of That's, story yes. prompts, first sentences. It's There has literally never been anyone who came who couldn't write Yes, no, because I, they're so, like, and, they really open up your imagination. And there's something else about writing in community. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm like this. I will show up for others. You know, I yes. will, whether I, I'm not, I take classes, I'm in writing groups and I'll meet with, have writing dates, but I don't always show up for myself. I mean, yeah. if I'm in a project, then I'm in it no matter where, where I am. But yeah. before you really get in it, being in, you don't have to do this alone. It's not that no, suffering. It's hard on your own. You know, writer. It's really it's hard. hard to get to that because there's so much coming at you at all of us, yeah. you know, from work, life, family, everything. So just quickly, you talked a little bit about publishing, uh -huh. but how did you go from that nonfiction writer to 
like you just found an agent okay, in so one day? Okay, so I didn't just find and... an agent. No, okay. it was very hard. So Good. I Good. We want to hear that suffering yeah, the story. suffering. It was a horrible... No, <laughs> it was though. I, I So I had a... Once I had a manuscript, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to send it out. So I went to my favorite books. You know, I knew very early what my genre was. So I went to my favorite books. I looked in the acknowledgments. I found the names of agents who I thought I should reach out to. I reached out to about 10 of them. They all wanted to read the manuscript. They all rejected me as an agent. So I knew that my manuscript needed work. I knew that it wasn't ready because there was, you know, if that's very clear. So, um, so I enrolled in another class. I think at some point I was back in Pat's class um, and I worked on the book for a, an, an entire extra year. And then there was a publishing conference where there was one of those speed dating agent meetup, um, you know, options. And the first person I met with was, you know, an older editor and she, you know, she liked it fine, but we didn't really connect. And then the next one was a romance editor and we didn't really connect. And then the next one, we just, this agent and I just started talking. She was really young. She read my five pages. She loved it. And we just immediately, it was like we had known each other. We Mm -hmm. just clicked. And, um, and so I got her information. She got mine. But of course, you, you know, you're thinking you click, but who knows, right? So then comes the job of me going home and following up. So writers, if you meet agents, follow up with them. Keep following up. Keep following up with them. And that's actually a really good lesson because she didn't get my first email Mm -hmm. when I followed up. And so uh, she didn't get back to me. And then I thought, God, I don't want to bug her, right? That's how we always feel. Bug. Bug. So I sent another email from my Gmail account because I started worrying maybe my other account went into spam. And it turns out it did. And she was like, oh, I'm so glad you reached out. I was hoping you had. This was a month later now because I had waited the Uh, two weeks. And, you mm -hmm. know, so but anyway, she ended up becoming my agent. And then from there, we worked another year on revisions. Guys, like these revisions Mm -hmm. don't stop. My first book took me four years to get out. So I worked with her on another year of revisions and then we sold it. And then guess what? More revisions. Two more rounds of revisions. So you better love your book. Um, but you know what? Every you guys know the books are better for it. They come out yeah. and they're so much stronger. And so. I know, and books are it's like, you know, uh, people say I used to hear the expression, writing a book is like giving birth. Yeah. No, I think writing a book and getting it published is like putting the kid through graduate school <laughs> and then then like kicking them out of the house <laughs> and then like turning locking the door when they try to come back because they'll always want to come back and you'll always want to change things and make things better for them and you gotta just say no, you gotta go away. Yeah, it's time. Yes. It's time to go. Yeah. So it's been wonderful to have you. Is there anything else you would like to so add? So wonderful. Thank you so much. No, and, I, and, um, I'll just give my book a plug. It was no, Jin Lane. It was on Jin Lane is amazing. A best new book by People Magazine, Woo. which was such a coup. Yes. Wow, so that's fantastic. So and I also want to say, excited. even though they are, they know that, and it's great summer read, yeah. but this book could be read any time of year. Um, True. So yeah. I think. You know what? People, I always say it's a beach read with teeth. You know, it, it, there's more to it. Yeah, it's not there's just a lot a more light, to it. That's a good rate. description. Yeah. yeah. And yes. your website where people can find out more about you. BrookeLeeFoster.com. Lee is L E A. Very Brooke good. Lee yeah. Foster. Brooke Lee Foster. With, yeah. And Brooke, Lee is L E A. Yes. Exactly. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and your experience. This has been Go Ahead, Write Something. And we're kind of daring you. And remember, writing can be hard, but you don't have to do it alone. And we hope you'll join us next time. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye.